Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. Earlier this week, the Lord asked me this question. Well, it was preceded by a statement. We all know the scripture where God says that I know you by your name. Where God says, I have called you by your name. You are mine. And so the Lord spoke to me so clearly, so vividly, and also so powerfully and intimately at the same time. On Tuesday, as I was coming here for discipleship, and the Lord asked me this question, preceded by the statement, saying that you know that my word says that I know you by your name, but do you know me by mine? Question mark. You see, that's the question that God is asking every single one of us. And what are we talking about when we talk about His name? We are not just talking about His name. We're not just talking about the word that we use for him often, which is God. What God is really concerned about is that we will encounter him as it pertains to the fullness of his nature and his character. What does that mean? That speaks of knowing him intimately. That speaks of knowing him in a way that is beyond the scope of what religion has to offer come on are you are you all with me still because religion loves to just stop with god but this morning i want us to go far deeper to in essence go beyond the veil to go beyond the shroud of mystery as it pertains to that name that is above every other name. And so that is why the title of today's message is this. What's in a name? Question mark. Because as much as we talk about the name of God, of who he is, the question also is coming to every single one of us again this morning. And it is the same question or questions that we ask during the introductory video that is played out at every single service. Who are you? Why are you here? You see, when you typically ask a person, who are you? They will refer to their vocation. They will say, I'm a plumber. I'm a technician. I'm a mechanic, I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer, I'm a pastor. But that is simply speaking of your function or your vocation. Now we can spiritualize that and talk about our calling, our anointing, the grace or the mantle that is upon our lives. But even deeper still, the question is, who are you? And there are many people who go all through their lives. I'm talking all the decades that they've lived on this earth. Some people are 50 years old. They still don't know who they are. 
They're 60, they still don't know. They're 70, they're 80, they're 90, they still don't know who they are. And there are many people who try and cheat the system, trying to take shortcuts because they will not invest in themselves to discover who I truly am. And so they will pursue people with the intention of them bestowing a sense of identity and therefore purpose and even destiny to them. Because people cannot figure themselves out and now they want to get someone else to figure them out. And unfortunately what happens in the process is you allow an invalid, an illegitimate person to confer identity and purpose to you. And that is why people will live their entire lives trying to shake off the labels that illegitimately were placed upon them. Because validation was sought outside of the framework of God. Yesterday we walked in the Helderberg with my family. And the moment one of my sons went off the path, he tripped, he fell, and he fell into a thorn bush. And when he got up, his entire arm was just like covered with thorns. And he had to pluck them all out. And obviously now the effects of the thorns could be felt. It was burning because the thorns obviously had injected toxin into his body and also now into his bloodstream. And so it took some time for that to work out. And there is a powerful and vivid illustration of what potentially can happen when we wear off the path that was intended for us. Because we might think, hey, there's a shortcut. I know I can see where I'm going. But why must I go with this winding road? The road that has got so many bends and twists and you know what? I don't know what's waiting for me beyond that turn. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know who's waiting for me beyond that curb. I'm not going to take any chances. I can see where I need to go. I'm just going to walk through the bush. It's not even that high. I mean, it's like just knee high. I, I, I've got it. Only problem is you don't know of the snakes that are right there. You don't know the scorpions that are right there. You don't know the boulders that are right there that you can trip over. As happened yesterday to one of my sons. Now he learned a valuable lesson. Stick to the path. And from a spiritual point of view, I have to say it this way. Stick to the path that belongs to righteousness. You do not have to become contaminated with the things of this world. And then trying an entire year, having to waste an entire year, simply trying to outdo the absolute rubbish that connected itself or attached itself to you because you wanted to follow your own way. You wanted to do it your way. You wanted to follow your own advice. There are certain things that you can recover from. But also understand there are certain things that you will never be able to recover from. Now you say, Pastor Kevin, that doesn't sound like the gospel. I'm telling you. In the natural, there are things like the thorns. You pluck it out, it's out, it's gone. But hey, if he had fallen like he had and he had broken his arm, 
that's going to take a little bit of time of recovery. Now, some of you might say, well, Pastor Kevin, you would have just laid hands on her. Hello, I'm just having the conversation from the perspective of what happens in the natural. Because there's many people, you would speak to them of a time when they broke something. And although it's recovered to a great extent, it's not entirely like it was before the accident. Get what I'm saying? So certain things you can recover from, certain things you can recover from 98%, but the 2% are still going to give you some challenges from time to time. And so avoid it altogether. Avoid it in the first place. So coming back to people trying to pursue their identity and their purpose, but they're doing so outside of the framework of God. God is your creator and it is only the creator of something that is allowed to define it. When Steve Jobs gave the world the iPhone, he could have called it whatever he wanted. He could have called it whatever he wanted, but he chose the name iPhone and it's become the symbol of excellence that we know today. And so only the creator can define it, can call it something. And this is why I want you to already know that you were created in the image and the likeness of God. That God is the one who created you. He is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. That before you were even born, he already knew you. I've shared on this before, but I want to just make this quick point. The last thing to be put or placed upon a product as it comes from the assembly line is the logo. Is the image of the maker. In other words, the Apple logo is the last thing to go on. Why? Because the logo cannot be put on prematurely because it first has to go through all the necessary checks. Because there is no way that that phone is going to find itself in the market and be defective. Less the name, the logo, the image of the maker's reputation will suffer. And so we have to understand that if the world goes to such great lengths to protect its reputation, do not think for a moment that God is not concerned, and I say this in inverted commas, about his name about his reputation and how he is perceived by the world. I'm not saying that in the kind of way that we as humans would try and protect our reputation. So let me just make this very clear that there is a distinction between the two. However, it goes without saying that when God and since God created us in his image after his likeness, he wants us and expects us to have dominion, to have authority, to accurately represent and reflect our King Jesus and his kingdom. A few months ago, I shared on this, that when you consider the ancient kingdoms of this world, whenever something was created and, uh, or erected, a temple that is dedicated to that deity, they always put up a statue an image of that God to symbolize the fact that that image is a 
representation of the deity that has dominion or authority over that area or region. God could have put up an image of himself, but he never did. In fact, that is part and parcel of the Ten Commandments, that you shall not make a graven image. Why? Because there is already an image. He placed us as human beings on this planet as an expression of His divine image. And so therefore, we have, in essence, the burden, in inverted commas, to ensure that we accurately, accurately represent and reflect His kingdom. So that if people were to meet you and spend time with you, you would actually not have to, you know, I can't really say this theologically from that perspective, so I'll have to just change here midstream. If you are representing your father in the natural, and you are a reflection and a true representation of your father, of your family name, I do actually not have to meet your father to know what he's like because you have taken it upon yourself to accurately reflect and represent him and his family name. Because if I say this about Jesus, people will say, well, you have to introduce people to Jesus, Pastor Kevin. You can't introduce them to yourselves. I understand. But you get what I'm saying? I mean, before we even get into that, let me just say this. Years gone by, family names were important. Like really important. A family name was something to be treasured. Something to be honored. Something to be protected. And that is why when you look at the names of the greatest, most industrious companies of the 20th century, as an example, the one thing they almost exclusively have in common is this is that those company names were not just some arbitrary name or a name that they misspelled like we do today. But it was the name of their family, their family name, their last name, their surname, as we say in South Africa. And that is why when you understand how important that name is, that, that, that when you bring a product to market, it's not your company name that is at stake, at risk of suffering any challenge to its reputation. It's your name. So when Henry Ford created the Ford automobile, and he could have called it whatever he'd wanted. He could have just called it car. He could have just called it thing that moves. <laughs> But he decided to put his name to that product and put up Ford. And so if he were to look at these vehicles driving around in its fullness of its glory, that brings glory to him as the creator because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But hey, if he gets to down the road and he says, there's a Ford broken down, there's just... There the radiator has gone. There this thing has gone. There, you know, that is going to be embarrassing 
in the very least. Because it's not just the name of his company, it's his name. It's who he is. And it's the name of his children. It's the name of his lineage, the future generations. That's also at stake. And that is why when we understand this from a natural perspective, why it not only saddens me, it grieves me when there are Christians who totally and utterly misrepresent the king, Jesus, and his kingdom. And that's not even me going and progressing the conversation to those who occupy the pulpit. To those who are in ministry and just absolutely mess up in the name of God. And that is why we have to ensure that we accurately reflect and represent him. And we do so well accurately truly and i want to say with reverence and awe because the name that we had been given and who we are what we are and where this all comes from or stems from it's not just wow awesome great magnificent it's divine it's holy it's weighty I hope you get where I'm going here with this this morning. In Exodus 3, 13 and 14, you can go with me. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. You'll have whatever translation you have. Exodus 3, 13 and 14. Then I'm also going to read John 8, verse 58. And also John 18, verse 6. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 to 14 in the New King James Version. It says this, then Moses said to God, that's the three letter word, G-O-D, God. He says, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, that was the height of the revelation at the time. What do I mean by that? The best that they could do as it pertains to knowing who God is, is to say that he is the God of our forefathers. That he is the God of my father, that he is the God of my grandfather. And that was the height of the revelation. But Moses decided that day that that was not going to be enough. I want to be able to communicate accurately who has sent. I do not just want to come and say, God sent me. I want to be able to give a little bit more that speaks of the fact that I am not going on hearsay, that I am coming to you as a result of a divine appointment and a divine and supernatural encounter that I've had with God. Can you see the difference? Hello. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, well, what is his name? Question mark. That's what they will ask. So what then shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, it is I am that has sent you. And so here for the very first time, God reveals his intimate name. To his servant his intimate name he is not just going by god 
But he says, tell them, I am sent you. And so you might ask yourself, okay, but then who is he? Or what is he like? Because it's simply I am. And the reason is because he's everything. He's everything and so much more. That he cannot be confined to the limitation of our mind as to the fact that yes, he is holy. He is good. He is almighty. He is awesome. He is wonderful. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is worthy to be praised. He is king. He is Lord. And that will fall flat. Because he is greatest though. And that is why he is I am. He is not I was. He is not I will be. He's not only exclusively now. He simply is I am. That speaks of the fact that he is the eternal God. He is the God that exists outside of the realm of time. That no, no matter the, the tense that you might use in English language, even if you were to refer to him in the past, like we can refer to him, reading that, then it, the proper English way to refer to that which took place, because that happened thousands of years ago, then we would read that from an English perspective as to the fact that God revealed to Moses that he was. But we are able today, thousands of years later, after that encounter, we are still able to say that He is. He is still I am. He is as real now as He was to Moses thousands of years ago. He is as real and present here now as He was, as He will be. Because he exists outside of time. In fact, he exists outside of any kind of limitation and constraint you dare to place him in. He is greater still. And so here's the question that I already have to ask you on this particular point. Is do you know him intimately? That's the question. Because what religion offers is simply becoming acquainted with him as the G-O-D. You see, at the heart of it, religion is void of an encounter with God. Religion is all about other people's experiences. Well, God, I know you've done it for this one, and Lord, I believe it, you will do it for me. Hello. Do you know him? In this particular case, Moses wanted the surety as the, to the fact that he is the God who has sent me. And God revealed to him that I am the one who is sending you. You see, you might this morning believe the Lord for your healing. And I want you to know that he is the Lord. And I want you to hear that the, in, in essence, as he speaks to you personally and directly into your spirit, as he says to you, I am your healer. And that is what we need to wake up to. 
Church, it is time for you to become a true disciple. Don't get caught up in all the tricks and the snares that exist in the churches out there and the ministries out there that want nothing more than to dumb you down, to create of you and make of you an absolute dependent in order for you to get to that place where you are always looking to the man of God instead of the God of the man. Where you are being manipulated, where things are being twisted for their own selfish gain and benefit. Because I've got to come to the, you know, to the healing service of this man of God who is anointed in the area of healing for me to get my healing. I'm not saying that there is not an anointing. I'm not saying that there are people who have gone before us in history and there are people here now where literally you can see that their ministry, who they are as a person, it's marked by miraculous occurrences, supernatural divine healings taking place. I'm not denying that. What I'm challenging is our response to that. Thinking that because we might be in a service that has not been branded as a healing service, that, well, I'm not going to expect healing today because this is not a healing service. That's religion. That's death. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do not place God in a box. Do not place the Holy Spirit on a restraint or in a restraint. Have an expectation. I mean, yeah, Moses was in the middle of nowhere, the desert, when he encountered the living God. Who has sent me? I am. Who is the God who's going to heal you? I am. Who is the one who's going to provide for you? I am. Who is the one who's going to restore that relationship? I am. Who's the one who's going to reconcile that situation? I am. Who's the one who's going to flip your financial situation around, taking you out of debt and placing you in a place of absolute prosperity and abundance? It's I am. And you see, this is why our testimonies need to reflect again accurately his name his nature and his divine character we cannot just talk about that time in 1995 or in 1987 or in 1962 that the lord came through for you praise him for what he has done but you know what greater things he will still do and also do not become so selfish that where the lord has come through for you in an area that you remain zipped up closed mouth when the Lord has come through for you, you testify. You testify. Why is that important? Because that is how we overcome. I've seen this from personal experience. That bottom line, it comes down to this, that the moment you testify, it's as though you solidify that which has taken place. You solidify it. Why is that important? Here it is. I told you earlier that God is all about making sure that he, who he is and the true essence of his name, his reputation remains intact. And so the moment you open up your mouth and you say, look what God has done, not drawing attention to yourself, but in essence to him, because you say, look what the Lord has done. It's as though the Lord then says, you know what? I will make sure 
that that which has happened for you, that healing that has come to you, that financial blessing that has come to you, that home that has come to you, that vehicle that has come to you, that business that has come to you, I will put my protection over it. Why? For my name's sake. That's what we have to realize. But let me not get ahead of myself. I'll get there just now. In John 8, verse 58, Jesus uses God's divine name. For there was this question pertaining to Abraham. Because Jesus made the statement where he said that, you know what? Abraham saw the Lord's day. Abraham heard the gospel and he was glad. Earlier this year, I taught a message about the fact that Jesus and Abraham were friends. True friends. Where we saw the, the shifting take place from Abraham just being a servant to the Lord actually saying, you know what, shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do or shall I not? Jesus said, behold, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Why? Because servants do not know what the master is doing, what the master is planning or what he's about to do. But friends speak to one another openly. They can share their hearts with one another. And that's exactly what happened. And that is why Abraham became known as a friend of God. And so Jesus is speaking of that occurrence, that time that they met. The time that they met in the tent, the time that they met under the tree, the time that they were looking over Sodom and Gomorrah. As the angels, the other two angels were walking towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Jesus reveals this because they're challenging him and saying, Jesus, I mean, you're not even that old. Now you're telling us you knew Abraham. Hello. And then Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Again, in the English language, that is not the way. If you, if you wrote that kind of sentence in English class, you would have had a very big red cokey go all through it and a note at the bottom, come see me after class. For some of you, that brings back some traumatic experiences. The next restore, you have to book your seat. Before Abraham was, I am. That's powerful. You see, and the Jews understood what he was saying. He revealed himself to be God. He revealed himself to not just be a God, but he revealed himself to be the God, the great I am. That's powerful. And then what we find in John, towards the latter part, the end of the gospel according to John, John 18 verse 6. This is when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. In the early morning hours that night, this was after the last supper. Just as Jesus is about to be betrayed by his friend, Judas. And so the soldiers ask, who among you are Jesus of Nazareth? And how does Jesus respond? He doesn't, hey, let me move away. Let me run. Let me get away from you. Who's asking? He didn't ask that. He simply said this in response. In our English translations, it says, I am he. 
But what he actually said and what he revealed was not just casual conversation. You know, I'm looking for Jesus and Jesus is just like, well, here I am. That's how our English Bibles almost portray that scene. But that is not what happened. And the reason I know that's not all that happened is because of the result of his response. Because asking, you know, who among you is this? Who among you is that? Who among you is this? If I were to say, you know what, who here is whatever the name? And you will respond and say, hey, that's me. Okay, thank you. I acknowledge you. That would be a normal response to someone identifying themselves. But as they ask, who among you is Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus says, I am. And then the Bible says that as he said that, the very moment he said, I am, and Jesus didn't shout out, I am. He didn't say it with some weird voice as to try to put any more emphasis or power into it. Because the name was already powerful. Who he is is already, I mean, it's, it's beyond. I mean, he could have said that and the earth could have gone out of orbit. It was by the grace of God that the impact was just felt there in the immediate vicinity. I mean, he is the God who speaks and mountains melt like wax. He is the one who speaks and it's thunder and lightning. And so as he reveals himself and says, I am, the soldiers draw back and they fall to the ground. That is not a normal response. Who are you? Imagine. Laura in the class, speaking to her class and saying, hey, we've got, you know, we've got a, someone who's new and maybe you were not introduced to that person. Well, you know what? You would know your children. So you would know who the one is that's, that's odd, that's, that's not there, that's not new. But let's say she's asked, asking the question, who here is Johnny? And Johnny's like, I am. And everyone in the class. Pff! Because that's what happened. I, if you ever needed a sign that you can escape, that was it. Everyone on their faces or everyone on their backs, everyone's just, pff. I mean, this looks like something from a Marvel movie. I mean, this is something that is attributed to a superhero. Jesus simply says, I am. Pff. Everyone falls. Can't stand in his presence. Can you imagine how fearful they must have been? Can you imagine Malchus who gets his ear chopped off? And Jesus, in that commotion, touches him. Not only heals him, but I mean does a creative miracle. I mean the Bible speaks of the fact that he simply put his hand to his, well what was now void of an ear. And I don't know what happened to the other ear on the ground. I mean, I sometimes wonder about those things. Imagine if one of the soldiers picked up like, Malchus, what must I do with this? But you know what Jesus did in that particular situation? Because we don't think about this. Jesus was actually covering up for Peter. In essence, it was a cover-up. Why? Because Jesus, in essence, was the evidence. He was covering up for the evidence. Jesus was saving his butt. 
Because understand, attacking the soldiers that are sent in the name of the king, the chief, the emperor, whoever is occupying that space or position of authority and power, it is seen as a direct attack against that one who has sent you. I mean, I can go off into this, which is the same reason why when Paul had that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, although he was persecuting the Christians, Jesus didn't ask him, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because an attack on anyone is an attack to Jesus himself. That's why Jesus also said that what it is, whatsoever you've done for the least of these, you've also done unto me. Can you get the picture? Can you see what's happening? And that is how powerful he is by simply stating his name. And then we want to believe that somehow, you know what? There's no more power available to us. You see, we do not understand the power. We do not truly appreciate the power. That if God says who he is, I mean, that is who he is. Just listen to these scriptures. Let me just give this to you. I want to give you some more. Psalm 8 verse 1. I mean, Psalms is just filled with these examples. Psalm 8 1. Oh Lord our God, how excellent, how majestic and glorious is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory on and above the heavens. The Bible says this about God and about his name and about his divine character and nature and reveals that God is an excellent God. Oh Lord, our God, how excellent is your name. And that is why when it comes down to us accurately reflecting and representing him, that is why in everything we do, we have to demonstrate excellence. I mean, in everything that I do, I always endeavor to do it excellent. When I design something, I design it to the pixel. I would sometimes, people might say I'm wasting time. But yes, maybe. I would waste 30 minutes trying to get that thing per pixel perfect. Why? Because I understand of what it represents. Of who. In the church, understand I was serving in the church long before I led in the church. This is why you speak to some people, oh, I'm not going to serve. I understand. If you never hear or you live far away, there might be certain situations where you just practically cannot ever serve. I understand that. But then there are those, you know, if you live just across the road, you have so much free time on your hands. Now also understand that's subjective because if you fill that with Netflix and DSTV and all kinds of other things that the world has to offer, people will look at their schedule, well, I just don't have the time. Why? Because all of your other seasons are waiting for you. That doesn't mean that you are occupied. It doesn't mean that you do not have time. Make time. That's why the world even says that when you want to get something done, you give it to the person who's got the, 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 who's got the most on his plate. Because busy people get things done. It's incredible to see how people with hardly any responsibility fail to get even the basics right. I mean, this is why you go to some people. I mean, it's like they, 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 they get up late. I mean, there's some people, they only get up in the mid-afternoon. Their room is a mess. The kitchen is a mess. And I'm not talking about children who's made it messy. It's just them. But it's a spirit of laziness. It's a spirit of slothfulness. And that is why we see the effects of all of that, a knock-on effect. 
Dus ook met oude mense gesê, dat ledigheid is die duivelse oorkussing. Idle hands make for the devil's work. Because people do not and cannot stand to be bored. They will rather do something, even if it is destructive. Do you know I read a scientific study and medical study this week that spoke of the fact that one of the most outrageous and atrocious forms of punishment ever created by anyone in this world. And you would think, I mean, the medieval times had some serious stuff. Had some, yay, some stuff in there. But you know what's the worst, what people have discovered? It's solitary confinement. Because we were created for fellowship. They found scientifically and medically proven fact that in that state of absolute boredom or absolute nothingness, if you were to present that person with an option to rather go one more day without any form of interaction or to give them something where they can inflict harm unto themselves, they would choose the latter. Because anything is better than boredom. And so a lot of people fill their lives and fill their eyes and fill their hearts with absolute wickedness and filth or just things that mean nothing. It might not be sin, but it is not conducive or constructive as it pertains to your purpose and your destiny. And the problem is, it's that it's because of boredom. And unfortunately, when excellence goes out the window, I'm telling you, it has a correlation to your identity, to your purpose and your destiny. You look at those who are not excellent. I'm not talking about perfection. Hear me. I'm not talking about everything has to be perfect. When you go to my home right now, there will be certain things that will not be in place. When you go to my house right now, hey, you will find a cup, you will find a saucer, you'll find a plate that I still need to go and wash. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about excellence. I'm talking about where you understand what the job at hand entails and what is required. You go the extra mile. You take ownership. It's not about just serving and doing the minimum. That is not what, imagine God just looked at you when he formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb and said, well, the minimum requirement is one head you know, two arms, two hands, a torso, two legs, two feet, that's it. Or maybe that is why some people have just got this blank expression on their faces all the time. Why there's no passion. But you see, God is, doesn't do that. He doesn't work like that. He made you who you are. And that was where I would even go so far as to say he didn't just excellently make you or make you excellent. I mean, you're perfect. Perfect. Just the way you are. He is the one who formed you, who knit you together in your mother's womb. And so he's excellent. And we have to ensure that in everything we do, we accurately represent him. That if the word says that he is excellent, how excellent is his name? How dare we? Showcase him to the world as this God who is not excellent. How dare we? Again, I'm not talking about perfection. I mean, we look at everything in here. I mean, there's things that we can still do and that we will still do in this facility. But with what we have, this is what we can produce 
excellently. You know what I want to say? If, if we had to do with just what we had, I mean, we would not be able to even attain this kind of standard and have what we have here today. Are we believing for more? Absolutely. Are we believing for greater? Yes, absolutely. But we also have to ensure that we become resourceful with what we have. And to become excellent in that which we have. There's an old saying that even says that, you know what? A cheap suit on a man is going to look better and it's going to be much more presentable than a very, very, very expensive suit that is not well kept. I mean, you can come with an Armani suit, but if that thing has not been taken care of, I'm telling you, your jet store suit will look better and will be much more presentable than a suit not well kept. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. I love this just a few chapters later. Listen to this, Isaiah 46, verse 8. The Bible says this, Remember this, put it in your mind, and don't forget it. Let me say this again. God says in Isaiah 46, 8, Remember this, put it in your mind, and don't forget it. Now, he could have simply said, remember this. He could have simply said, don't forget this. But he makes three distinct statements that actually mean the exact same thing. Why would he do that? Why would he write that in this particular way in his word? Well, the answer and the simple answer is, is that he simply wants to reveal the fact that he is God. That he is who he says he is. And that that which he has said, that which he has spoken will come to. And so you have to remember this. You have to grab a hold of this. Now, what must we grab a hold of? In light of everything that I've already shared with you this morning, it's understanding who he is. Becoming acquainted with his name. With his divine nature and character of who he is says he is you see a lot of people know him as jehovah jireh we've all heard that phrasing before that name before what does that mean god my provider we all know that so well and you see there's many people who would just try and refer to him by means of these hebrew names thinking that that is somehow going to invoke a better response from god it's not about the way in which you speak to him from that perspective, it's about becoming acquainted with him as Jehovah Jireh. It's not about you just hearing that there are others who refer to him as Jehovah Jireh. Hey, let me try this. Now there's going to be a financial blessing in my life. It's about the revelation of who he is. It's about becoming acquainted with who he is. What does that mean? 
He's not just God. He's not just Lord. Even the fact that we refer to him as father, we get it all twisted and we get it all messed up because our earthly fathers quite often and maybe more often than not has totally and utterly messed us up or some of us up. And as a result, we have developed this twisted and perverted picture of our heavenly father, of the way in which our earthly natural fathers have misrepresented the greatest father of all. And that is the sad reality. I mean, the same way in which we understand what covenant of marriage is all about. I mean, covenant is holy. It is sacred. So sacred, in fact, that Jesus says, Jesus says that that covenant of marriage is a representation on this earth that demonstrates to the world the relationship, the divine relationship that exists between Christ Jesus who is the bridegroom and his church that is the bride but then I ask you with tears in my eyes how is it possible that the divorce rate among Christians is higher than that of the world I'm not condemning those who've gotten divorced Anyone and everyone who's ever gotten through a divorce would say, Pastor Kevin, I cheer you on to tell young people the importance of what covenant of marriage is all about. Because that is something that I do not even wish upon my worst of enemy. And so we have messed up in so many ways. Fathers have misrepresented the great father through our marriages that have ended up, even at the very least, unfulfilled, unhappy. There's many people who would, they're not divorced on paper. They're not divorced legally, but it's like people who silently quit their jobs nowadays. They haven't actually resigned, but they're there, but they're not there. There's no production coming out of them. You might as not as well even have them there. And as a result, we have totally and utterly missed it to a very large degree. And so when we understand of the importance and significance of representing him and reflecting his true nature and his divine character. This is something that we cannot escape from. This is something that we cannot just deal with, call it very lightly. We have to get back to this place where we understand who he is, what his name represents. And that when he says, I am Jehovah Jireh, I need you and I want you to begin to become serious about encountering him as Jehovah Jireh. There are many people who have encountered him as Jehovah Jireh. I mean, you look at their lives. It appears as though everything they touch just prospers, prospers. I mean, I know some friends of mine. Not, not even in the ministry where, I mean, already before the age of like 35, they're already blessed with five different vehicles. I know some friends of mine in the ministry that have been blessed already by, before the age of 50 or 60 with two, three, four different buildings as it pertains to the work of the ministry. So it's very clear. I mean, they've, they know they've got a revelation. There's not even a thought as to will he provide. 
because they have tasted and seen. They know that they know that they know. They are walking in a divine revelation that he is not only God, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is God, my provider. But then I've also seen certain individuals where they might be operating in that space of Jehovah Jireh. They walk with that revelation. They understand. But that area may be that they do not yet have that intimate knowledge of and revelation of as him. Let's say as Jehovah Rapha, my God who heals. So so they con constantly plagued with this sickness and that disease and this issue and that issue. And they're standing in the gap believing to conquer that thing. But on the one hand, there's certain things that just flow effortlessly. But on the other hand, there's a lot of contending. And then there might be some people here today or those listening or watching who might say, well, Pastor Kevin, I wish it was that easy where at least I had that area sorted and I could just focus on one other. Because there are those who say, well, I do not even know. I mean, I'm challenged in my finances. I'm challenged in my health. I'm challenged in my relationships. I'm even challenged as it pertains to the Lord, my peace. Because there's no peace in my life. And even I'm dreading family coming over for Christmas because, hey, let's all understand it's not going to end well again. And so it's about becoming acquainted with him. Practically, how do you do this? Let me give this to you. The homework you have is to go to the word of God. And you find at the very least, I'm saying the very least three scriptures that you will stand on where it is very clear as to the fact that God reveals himself to be that. And that's what you stand on. You begin to speak those words. You begin to speak those things. Even as it pertains to other areas of your life. You're wanting to start a business, find scriptures as it pertains to the creation of wealth. You're wanting to get married, stand on scriptures as it pertains to that which the word of God reveals. For example, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. Marriage is good and finding a wife is good. But you have to find the right one. If you don't, it's going to affect the quality of your life. Let me tell you. Do not be unequally yoked. Is it possible for God to intervene and change things yes can God change a marriage yes but before he changes the marriage he first has to change people would say my spouse no you again it comes down to who you are as much as we say for things to change you have to change but people don't take that to heart people want to change all kinds of other external factors and external factor or circumstances Thinking that that somehow is causing them to be who they are and for them to have what they have or to don't have what they don't have. And that's why some people make the mistake of now just deciding one day, hey, there's no hope here in Cape Town. I'm leaving for Joburg. Only to find on the road there are people leaving Joburg to come to Cape Town because of the exact same reason. I mean, I traveled to Joburg quite a lot over the last couple of months. And it's interesting when you speak with people there. Yeah, Joburg is not what it used to be. Yeah, everyone's coming to Cape Town. And then you speak to people here. It's like, yeah, Joburg is where everything is happening. 
people quit on this relationship and pursue another. And sadly, if you have not dealt with what you needed to deal with in that situation, that thing is going to follow you. I'm telling you, it's going to follow you. This is not me pronouncing a curse over you. This is not me speaking anything negatively over you. It is because it is a fact that whatsoever you put in is what is going to ultimately produce. That that which you carry, you will manifest. If you carry greatness, you will manifest greatness. If you carry wealth, you will manifest wealth. If you carry glory and fire, you will manifest glory and fire. If you carry the anointing, you will manifest the anointing. Flip side, if you carry poverty and lack, you'll manifest poverty and lack. People say, I would never willingly choose that. Take stock of every word that you speak there. There's no hope for this nation. Why are you so closed-minded? Why do you think poor? I'm not. Hello. There's no work here in Cape Town. There's no money in Cape Town anymore. Hello. And so getting the things to land in essence today. Wrapping things up. It is my desire for you to become acquainted with him. As it pertains to the fullness of his name, of who he is. Where he says that I am the Lord, I change not. That's who he is. That is his name. That is his nature. That is his character. On Tuesday, I shared with everyone this very famous story it's a play written by William Shakespeare you all will know this it's a story of Romeo and Juliet and there is this one extremely famous scene where Juliet says to Romeo oh Romeo Romeo wherefore art thy Romeo and then she says refuse thy father and deny thy name and goes on to state that basically if you cannot then I will no longer be a capulet but she understands that there are certain things that's not just a doing but a being because she didn't just speak of the fact that she was going to change her name from the perspective of it just being a doing the outflow of something she speaks of the fact that she will no longer be that but is it possible and you see that play also reveals the power of a name, the significance of a name, where people are born, come into this world that have got no recollection of the past, but are simply taught from a young age that we, as this, do not get along with that. That's what it comes down to. That we, as a family, do this. We do not do that. But they are families who do not just have the perspective of you just going as a member of that family to go and work in a factory. There are families that exist to understand and raise their children to one day own that factory. And you might say, I want to change things. Well, the Bible reveals that every single one of us are faced with this decision in life. 
And it's the greatest decision that anyone could ever make. And it comes down to this, receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. You might say, I cannot escape who I am. I was born this way. And that might be in relation to many things, to poverty and lack, to sickness and disease. You might say, I didn't choose these genes. I didn't choose this DNA. I didn't choose what I received from my natural father, my natural mother. That is a fact. But that is why, irrespective of who you are or who you think you are, you have to be born again. Because flesh gives birth to the flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. And there is newness of life that is found in him and also through him. And it comes as a result of having that divine encounter with him. And so I want to ask this question for everyone here and everyone watching and everyone listening. My first invitation is for those who say, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. You might say that you've never ever received Jesus. You've never bowed your knee. You've never confessed with your tongue. Nor have you believed with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's my first invitation. My second invitation is for those this morning who, who say that there was a time in my life when I did receive Jesus. There was a time where I was even on fire for Jesus, but something happened along the way. And you are no longer serving him the way that you should. You're no longer serving him in the way that you know. This is your moment to come back and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm coming back to you. My third invitation is for those who might say that I do not have the assurance of salvation. The devil is constantly lying to you as it pertains to your life and especially your past, telling you that you are not good enough for the kingdom. You're not good enough to be considered a child of God. But I want you to know that there is indeed a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. It's not about what you can do outside of the perspective of you saying yes to this invitation. Because you cannot ever earn your salvation. It is a free gift that is given to you and offered to you by grace and grace alone. But it is received by faith and faith alone. And so if you need to respond on any one of these three invitations right here and right now. On the count of three, just lift up one hand and say that's me and I want to include you in this prayer and pray with you today. One, two, three, if that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If that's you. Okay, awesome. Okay. Come and stand here. Is there anyone else who wants to pray? Anyone else? Okay. And so for the sake of those watching as well, we're going to pray. So simply pray this prayer out loud and believe it with your heart. Say this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I repent of all of my sin and ask that you will forgive me. I now receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Touch me. Change me. Set me free. Fill me with your spirit. Let me never be the same again. Father, I believe that Jesus Christ has died in my place. That he was buried. But three days later, 
he rose in victory. From today, I will walk in the victory that Jesus secured for me. I thank you for life and life abundant. And I declare that from today, I will share the good news wherever I go. Give me a passion and a desire to reach the lost, no matter the cost. I declare, I am yours. Use me in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to end off simply with this. And this is not going to be, call it a particular offering message. But before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to sow a seed. And I want you to take an envelope that is right there on your seat. If you haven't made a paper jet out of it yet. But I want you just to take that envelope into your hand. If you've already filled it in, you've already filled it in. So just take it into your hand. You might say you want to do something online. Well, I still encourage you to fill it in. That's your point of contact. And this morning, the only thing that I feel led to do and say by the Holy Spirit is this. Is that this morning, let your giving be a reflection of the revelation that you have pertaining to Him. Pertaining to his name, pertaining to his nature and his divine character. In other words, this is not just a normal time of the offering of just, you know, what do I have? There's five cents. Okay, let me just do that. This is a time in essence of standing still. Reflecting where you're at. What it is that you are believing God to do in your life. This is not you buying a miracle. This is not you trying to twist God's hand or his arm. We can never ever manipulate God without giving. We can never ever try and secure a particular outcome because we're trying to bribe God. But I also want us to know this. We can never ever outgive God. And so this morning's offering is simply this. As you give and prepare to give and plant a seed by faith, let the seed of faith be a reflection of your faith and the revelation you carry within as it pertains to his divine name, his nature, and his character. I also encourage you, this is why I said have the envelope. Even if you've given online, 
you might not have had the opportunity to write things down. So at the back of the envelope, you can even write what it is that you believe in God for. Now you can keep it as clear, as sweet and short as, call it still mysterious as you'd like. Because it's not about man reading it. It's something that is between you and God. But something happens the moment you make something known. As was said a little bit earlier today, the moment you put out something, the moment you say something, the moment you speak those words, God says, I will make sure that I come through for you for my name's sake. Let me in fact just read you this one word or this one, one scripture, just this one. We all know this so well. Psalm 23. And verse 3, he refreshes and restores my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness that speaks of uprightness and right standing with him. Not for my earning it, but for his name's sake. And so if you're ready, even if you are watching by means of the live broadcast or listening, you can still be part of this time of giving. Go to the website, dominion.org.za forward slash give. For those who would like to partner with us on a monthly basis, you can go to dominion.org.za forward slash partnership. But for those who are here and you're ready, just hold your envelope in your hand and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity today. To once more be reminded of the fact, the fact that you are who you say you are. That you are the Lord and you do not change. That your word is the truth. It is yes and it is amen. Father, I pray. That this will be the day that every single person will truly know you. That they will know that they know that they know that you are the great eternal I am. That I am the Lord your provider. That I am the Lord your healer. I am the Lord, your deliverance. I am the Lord, your shelter. I am the Lord, your peace. I am the Lord who sees you. I am the Lord who hears you. I am the Lord who comes through for you. I am the Lord who makes a way where there have seemed to have been no way. For I am who I say I am. I pray that today, our giving, and even from today, our giving, our actions, our prayers and declarations will reflect and accurately represent our King, Jesus, and your kingdom, your name, your nature, and your character. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can come to the front.
You can sow your seed. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.